to One Move at a Time, the U.S. Chess Podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess Podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which I go more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karianis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org or by subscribing via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Our guest today is Justin Morrison, the founder and owner of Kid Chess, which he began in 1998. The company's main focus is on keeping the game fun for children while teaching them lessons that are important in its life, such as sportsmanship, problem-solving, critical thinking, concentration, patience, attention span, and other skills. He started playing chess in high school and has over four decades of experience. He was the three-time Georgia high school champion from 1976 through 78, high school champion of the southeastern United States in 76, and the Georgia junior champion in 1978. He is a 1900-rated player, a certified U.S. Chess Tournament Director since 1977, and has taught chess since 1976. He was also my boss in 2004 and 2005 when I worked for Kid Chess myself, and he was my daughter's employer when she worked for Kid Chess as a college student from 2017 to 2019, so we're kind of in dangerous nepotism territory here. (laughs) Welcome to the One Move at a Time podcast, Justin Morrison. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Let's start with Kid Chess. Let, talk about why you founded it, its size, uh, anything you feel like would be of interest to our listeners to know about your company. I started it out of dumb luck. I was uh, interested in being a basketball coach. At the time, I was uh, an independent con- uh, excuse me, an independent consultant and was making uh, a good rate of pay, but not for many hours per week. So I wanted to coach some basketball. Uh, then I got word that a local school was interested in chess coach before I found a basketball coaching, you know, volunteer basketball coaching job. And I went to teach chess. I thought I would teach chess to a handful of kids that would be very serious about chess. And we would discuss technical things. And what I instead had was 60 kids who mostly knew nothing about chess. And, uh, between that and some interactions with the parents, I I realized that there was maybe an opportunity to run a small business that would complement my consulting business. Over time, what I found was that there was a great deal of demand for this and, and this business crowded out my consulting business. And I began doing this full time after just a few months. How many competitors did you have in the Atlanta area when you started Kid Chess? I believe We had maybe five other companies that taught chess. Most of them didn't hire anybody. It was just an individual who would teach chess. Where does the company stand now? How many coaches do you have and how many students do you reach in the metro Atlanta area? We've got close to 100 coaches. We've got close to 4,000 students. We will see over the course of a year 
you know, something more in the neighborhood of 6,000 students. Since we have listeners across the U.S., talk a bit about the lay of the land for the metro Atlanta area. How how big is it, uh, and how many counties does Kid Chess cover? Well, Atlanta is a large, sprawling metro area. We work predominantly inside the, the city and the northern suburbs, though we have begun some expansion in the south side of town. Just how many counties are you in? I believe at the moment we're in six counties, or that's counting Atlanta Public Schools, which is a city school district, and uh, you know we have several private schools as well. I gave a little bit about your chess history in the intro, but expand a little bit about that. You know, when did you start? Who taught you? Um, anything of interest? My father taught me how to play chess when I was six years old. Uh, I enjoyed it, but he always beat me. And uh, when I was 12, the Fisher-Spassky match occurred, and this caused us to play chess against the other kids in school. And having lost my first 2,000 games of chess all to my father, I figured I probably wasn't really all that good at chess. I was surprised to find that I was better than, well, any of the other kids in my particular class, and that got me interested in tournaments. So I am, uh, and my father had begun playing in tournaments because of the Fisher boom. So I am completely a child of the Fisher boom. Your father had a chess history outside of simply being a player, right? He was a chess journalist as well. Yes. He was the uh, president of the Georgia Chess Association and the editor of what at that time was called uh, the Georgia Chess Association newsletter. And then he morphed that into something that he called Chess Man, and it actually represented several states. And, uh, And he enjoyed that a great deal. My impression of your business philosophy is that you're extremely responsive to the uh, the marketplace and customer requests. Talk about some of the things that you've done um, that with Kitchess that are especially innovative. Well, when I came into the business, I came into it more from a business perspective than a chess player perspective. Though certainly, I'm, I, I was and am an active chess player, and I love chess. Uh, and and I believe that your standard business needs to be incredibly responsive to the customer, but also the would-be customer, the customer who's not a customer yet, the customer who was a customer but was unhappy. What I found was that the chess businesses, I felt, were more agenda-driven than customer-driven, and they had a notion of what Uh, an elementary school chess class should look like that wasn't informed by the parents, the kids, or the educators. And I believe that left me greater opportunity than I otherwise would have had. I I came in thinking that we would focus on tournament players and their preparations to become much stronger chess players. What I found was that the educators – really just wanted the kids to be engaged and improve some of their intellectual and study abilities. And the parents wanted largely the same things. They, they saw chess as a means to an end that could be entertaining to the child. And the kids typically mostly want to have fun. Now, of course, winning is more fun than losing. So we work very hard on improving the kids' game. But... We try and keep a perspective that the game needs to be fun and engaging and that it's okay if a six-year-old would like to wait a couple of years before they play in a tournament. And this is 
antithetical to the methodology and beliefs of some of our competitors. And, uh, you know, I just feel we have to be responsive to the people that want to work with us. Over the years, you and I have had many lengthy discussions about this topic. So I, I, I'd be curious to hear you expand a little bit more on, on it for our listeners. You know, U.S. Chess recently commissioned a study from YouGov, and they found that 70 million people profess an interest in chess. Yet we only have about 100,000 members of U.S. chess itself. You know, what can we do to bring in these other 69.9 million people into the fold? I think we'll have a tough time getting all 69.9 million. But I do believe that there are, that most chess now is played online. Uh, much of chess now is played in after school elementary programs like ours, which are all over the country. And that we need to be better at drawing the casual player. Uh, into the tournament experience, but also other things such as simuls or exhibitions or speed chess tournaments or conceivably even bug house tournaments that happen to appeal to these people who love chess but are not currently part of U.S. chess as we think of it. I uh, continue to be astonished by the phenomena of how many people at least know how to play chess and like playing chess occasionally. And in and, and my career, because I've been fortunate enough to be in, in leadership since I was right out of college, I've interviewed at least a couple of thousand people, uh, roughly half of them during my time here at Kid Chess. And almost all of them play chess and very few of them play in tournaments. They, they play online, they play with friends. They enjoy chess. They watch YouTube videos on chess, and they get chess information in different means than, than my generation did. And I believe many of them can be brought into more serious and, and you know, face-to-face rather than online forms of chess. And I, I think there's tremendous potential for tremendous growth in chess in general. There's no doubt that Chess is a, a sport that is well suited to the internet. And um, when you started the company in 1998, you know, things were still in their infancy. You know, did you embrace the internet early uh, as part of your business philosophy? I, I would say we embraced it early on. We we were quick to have a website up. We were quick to have instructive materials up there for our, particularly for our beginning players. We did a lot of uh, relatively innovative things with email uh, for the era as a means of communicating with the parents. But uh, obviously, I wish I had put even more effort into the internet early on. It's remarkable the degree to which now the chess community, even the serious players, have considerable internet involvement. And then the rest of the iceberg that I think you know we're just ca- currently capturing the tip of, uh, they're predominantly internet players. So I believe the internet's really crucial. I believe that getting people to cross over from one to the other is really critical, particularly from the internet into the face-to-face or over-the-board world. And I believe uh, the new leadership of U.S. chess has finally em- embraced something that I think from a simple business perspective has always made, always made immense sense. And I, I think that's going to go very well, take time. But I, I think you'll see considerable growth from it. I'm 
also particularly interested in your coaching philosophy and the people that you hire. Talk a bit about the difference between hiring a chess player and teaching them how to teach and hiring a teacher and teaching them how to play chess. Well, I've gone through quite an education in this regard. So, so certainly the business model when I started this was that all the coaches would be tournament chess players. And we had, you know, I remember one expert I hired and uh, he was working in a different part of the room than me, but the, he was playing a simul. He was awarding points to the children, but they were coming over to me to report their points with tears in their eyes. Uh, because him being a traditional chess player and, and, and not having advanced interpersonal skills or skills with children, he was insulting the kids after their games. These kids are six and seven years old. They're making mistakes, and he was very critical of them. This was an early part of my education that my staff was going to have to be excellent with kids and not just chess. So we now have a team a large team with lots of tournament players in it, lots of former educators, and lots of people that are perhaps more casual players, but they are chess players who also enjoy kids. You specifically asked about converting chess players into, into good coaches. Many people are very receptive to that, and they love the kids, and they're kind with the kids, and they're great with the kids. Some chess players just don't adapt to that situation. Perhaps they don't believe it's important to be nice to children. I'm not dead sure what all's going on there. When we get educators and try and convert them into chess players, we do run into challenges there. A lot of times an adult who has chosen not to play chess uh, isn't inherently interested in playing a great deal of chess. And, of course, the learning curve issues are more challenging for an adult than they are for a child. But we've had good success with taking people that are good with kids and at least know how to play casually and have some interest in chess and turning them into being great with kids and, and very good with chess, combining them with our the best chess players on staff. We're, for example, fortunate enough to have Grandmaster Alonzo Zapata working with us, and we have many strong players working with us. And those teams make very formidable combinations as the people that are great with kids work with the beginning players and the people that are great with chess work with the more advanced players. And, and the team works well together and they've learned to appreciate one another. You know, on the Kid Chess website, you list all the positive attributes of chess. And while there's many anecdotal stories that, that support that. You know, we, we aren't at a point yet where we have scientific studies backing it up, but I'm interested in additional anecdotal stories. Do you have any turnaround stories of a kid who maybe had problems with school or home and after learning chess in a kid chess class, they found they had better life or school skills? That's a great question. I, now I'm personally rarely in the classroom anymore running, running a business this this size, even though we're a small business, is challenging. But I was in the classroom every day for over 10 years. And teachers would come up to me. I would see kids improve and change, but the teachers would come up to me and say things. I remember the first one very vividly, but I've heard similar stories many, many times. I'm so happy with what you did with Bobby well, you know, they they asked me that, and I said, "Well, or say say that to me." And I said, "Well, what did I do with Bobby?" And they, well, Bobby, 
used to be a terrible student. He had low grades. He couldn't pay attention. He uh, had a bad attitude. Now his grades are up. He's much more focused. He's much more confident. Uh, this was shocking to me. I had no idea, but it really solidified greatly my belief that chess can be very beneficial to any person, particularly a young person, but any person, in ways that we might not anticipate because it's a game and it can engage people in different ways than more traditional studious or academic activities engage them. And it gives them confidence and they, they kind of zone into it. But for example, kids with ADHD, uh, I've seen so many times when these kids have ADHD, we've been warned they're going to be challenging, but we put them in front of a chessboard and they just love it and they are focused and they are coachable and, and those benefits generalize from beyond just the chessboard and help them out in other settings of their life. <clears throat> and honestly, uh, it, it's hard for me not to get choked up about it. It's, it's just one of the wonderful things about the job. We're really trying to help these kids make their lives better. And we see it all the time in different ways, and that's certainly one of them. Well, whenever I can get a guest to be choked up, I can say my job here is done. <laughs> so thank you for sharing such a, a personal and heartfelt story. But let's double down on that story. Uh, have you seen an attitudinal shift in educators since 1998? Uh, you know, I, I imagine when you started, there was a lot of resistance uh, amongst educators about putting chess in, in the schools. But now we're in, in the midst of a scholastic chess boom, and certainly things are different. Yes, we've seen a definite change. This is, um, I would say, the perception parents and educators had when, when I started this business in 1998 was that chess would be good for their children, but that they would find it boring. Why would my six-year-old want to play chess when they could be doing other more engaging things that are we more typically think of six-year-olds doing? So what, what I had to sell against, quite frankly, was the idea that not that chess isn't good for you. Everybody seems to buy that rather inherently, but that the kids just would not want to do it. Luckily for me, the kids will tell their parents we want to do it, and, and a large class full of happy children refutes the notion that the kids don't want to do it and the academic benefits of it. Uh, are, are so intuitive to educators that when I started the business, would have to sit down and talk with principals about putting a program into their school, I would have a, literally a briefcase full of, you know, data to support the idea that this would improve test scores or improve their academic performance. They all would wave me off and say, oh, no, no, I don't need to see that. I'm sure chess is very good for these kids. I'm just worried not many kids will sign up. And luckily, that's very easy to overcome because of our track record with large classes. And then they give us a try, and lots of kids sign up, and things go very well. And I certainly know and remember that in 2004, when I was working for Kid Chess, we, we tried to get the Kid Chess program into my kids' elementary school. And the, pro, the principal at the time was extremely resistant to the whole idea and just gave us a hard no. That's a bit unusual in my experience. There are some principals that don't want to have any kind of after-school enrichment program or they want to stick with whatever they have. 
in, in my experience, most educators would like chess to be one of their after-school enrichment programs because the connections to academics are so very straightforward. Now, you are running a for-profit business, and so you're not teaching these kids for free. Talk, talk a bit about what it costs for a kid to be in a kid chess program and how that number compares to other sports like maybe baseball or football programs. All right. So we would typically end up charging perhaps $300 a semester for roughly 14 classes over a 14-week period of time. In other words, we go once a week. That is more expensive than most of the other after-school enrichments, but we have a bit of an unusual system here. We send in five coaches to most of our classes. A very small class might have four, but a large class might have seven. And we do send in laptop computers and, and really invest a lot of money in the quality and the safety of the program. And we do extensive paid training and things of this nature. So we charge more, but the market uh, tolerates that because they find our service to be a very high quality. Now, as somebody who used to, my, my son was a very good baseball and basketball player, and I was uh, his coach in, in basketball, one of his coaches in baseball, both at a rec league level and at a travel ball or AAU level. Uh, those sports are end up being vastly more expensive than chess, uh, baseball particularly, where you might spend $300 on a bat or $100 on a glove, or certainly in kind of travel ball scenario where the fees are very high and you, you do have some travel expenses. So um, chess, I think, ends up being very economical, certainly very economical to play, and sometimes somewhat less economical to receive lessons. Do you still offer the occasional scholarship or financial assistance for uh, at-needs kids? I, I generally don't advertise this for reasons I'll explain in a moment, but we, we have never turned a child away from money. If a parent calls and says they would like to be in the program, uh, we'll ask them how much they can afford to pay and, and we'll accept whatever answer they give us. When I first started the business, I was asked by our principal to put that in the flyer. And that school, we had more scholarships than we usually do, which was odd. It was a fairly affluent school. And uh, I remember one parent informing me that, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't be at class because they were traveling to Italy. And, you know, we, we experienced some things that suggested to me perhaps there were some abuses. So, but we don't generally advertise that. But the reality is I, don't, I would not have been able to afford this program when I was a child. I don't believe poor children should ever be discriminated against because their parents don't have much money. So we will always give a scholarship to a child. And we work very closely with PTAs and they frequently have a child or two that they would like to receive a scholarship. Let's approach your Kitchess business from a different uh, angle. I, I imagine that there's a lot of people out there listening who are just rabid fans of the game of chess and would think it would be the most wonderful thing in the world if they could make a living from this game that they love. What do you think are the characteristics most needed, the personality traits most needed to be a successful chess businessman in any, any type of chess business? So different businesses require, would require different skills. Obviously, somebody can make a living by being a truly excellent player, perhaps a grandmaster, and, and they can make do private lessons, perhaps sell books. And I think those skills could be very chess-centric. Uh, 
when if you want to make a living in this industry teaching large numbers of people, you need to be entertaining. You need to be patient. You need to be warm and friendly with kids and other people. You sometimes will need to be diplomatic. You will occasionally run into a parent or an educator that is for some reason flustered and perhaps not all that reasonable at that moment, and you'll have to manage that problem. Running a company like this um, is challenging because when you start it, you have to be a generalist. So uh, I had been a psychology major and a manager for many years. Those things were helpful. I had switched my major to economics. And my economics understanding was helpful, but but certainly my uh, consulting was extremely helpful to me because I'd gotten to fly around and uh, meet with the owners of dozens of businesses and, and really dive deeply into what they're doing and understand what makes businesses work well and, and what makes them not work well. When I see chess businesses that are not, in my opinion, extremely well run, uh, I, I think it comes from typically either a lack of, of people skill or business skill. And, and the hardest thing I do is finding, finding and retaining and training excellent staff because most people are not interested in a part-time job. And, uh, you know, so we have to pick amongst people that want a part-time job, know how to play chess, and are good with kids, and that's not most people. And there are so many things that people probably don't even consider uh, that are necessary as part of running uh, a business, such as uh, insurance and background checks, especially when your uh, business involves children. Yeah, I would call those compliance issues, and they're a bit daunting when you first get into it. Uh, luckily, you know, the business was doing well enough where I was able to hire staff that was able to manage is was and is able to manage some of the complexities of compliance because we work with so many different school districts we need different compliance issues with each one of them and within each district we're working with several schools and different principals have different rules so compliance is one of the challenges of this business and if you come into this from a perspective of loving chess and perhaps loving children but not loving business or loving paperwork or, you know, bureaucracies and all these things. That is one of the challenges. Looking back over the last 20 years, is there any one issue that you dealt with as a businessman where you said, boy, if I had known this was going to be ahead of me, I would have said, this is a deal breaker. There's no way I want to deal with that particular headache. Honestly, no. Uh, everything has its downsides, and, and that includes this, but I love this job. I love working with the kids and um, <clears throat> working with my staff. I feel very, very blessed and, and very fortunate to, to be here at Kid Chess. And I've had, you know, other jobs. I was a, a manager in a number of different companies, most of them in the newspaper industry. And uh, all jobs have their downside. This, this has fewer than any other job I've ever had. And Based on your answer just a few minutes ago, it, it sounds like your recommendation to people that want to start a chess business is that they first go out there and get some experience working for someone else's company, whether it be in or out of out of chess, just to get the um, their sea legs under them. I, I 
really believe that. I think had I tried to start this business right out of college, I would have failed for lack of, of business uh, sensibilities and, and, and certain people skills. I, uh, you know, theoretically, my 19-year-old son, who is very bright and is a 1,300 chess player and, and enjoys business, I, I, he may end up running my business someday, but he, I think, is going to need other world experience, real-world experience in order to do this job properly. What does the future hold for Kid Chess? What do you see coming down the pike over the next 10 years? And also, do you feel like you've maxed out the growth in the metro Atlanta area? We probably have more or less maxed out the growth in the metro Atlanta area as regards elementary schools. Recently, we've begun Chess.Zone. And Chess Zone or Chess.Zone, which is our website, our URL, uh, is aimed at, at mostly at the moment, seniors. I, I feel as though the senior community uh, has some of the unusual dynamics I saw as we moved into the elementary school community. And by that, I mean the parents the and the, excuse me, the educators were behind the kids learning to play chess for their academic development. I believe there are those uh, seniors that want to play chess to keep their minds sharp. And also, uh, a lot of seniors have some time on their hands and, and enjoy social interaction. I, I'm 59 now, and I, I find out you do grow away from a lot of your friends, and some move away, and tragically, some pass on. So uh, the social interaction for older people is, is a wonderful thing, and we're seeing our clubs grow steadily, not, not maybe as fast as they could, but they are growing steadily. I see a lot of potential there. And uh, I really want to do things that help women and girls chess. I, I believe that women and girls, particularly girls, I, I know this from elementary school, they want a different environment than the traditional chess program, which is more built around competition and less built around cooperation. And well, I, I got to tell this story. I, I went in to teach some three-year-olds one time and me being a young idiot and inexperienced, I thought I, I could, having taught six and eight-year-olds, could easily teach three-year-olds. They would just need smaller chairs. So I went in with that group of three-year-olds, and they, they embarrassed me. I, I, I just couldn't get them to answer a question. They, uh, they, were, they needed to run off to the bathroom immediately, or they made it clear that they would pee right there. And uh, so I had a rough experience for that 30 minutes of trying to teach three-year-olds to focus on how a knight moves. Uh, went to the owner of the school, explained my dilemma, and she did a fantastic job of teaching me how you teach three-year-olds. And one of the things that she had me do, which was extremely helpful for that age group, was to have them personify the pieces. In other words, play with the chess pieces as toys. Two things occurred that were stunning to me. One, they immediately segregated into boys and girls. There was no hesitation. There seemed to be no confusion. There was no direction of me to do so, but they did. And immediately, the boys' area, all the chess pieces were converted into jets, tanks, machine guns, and they were engaged in war. On the other side of the room, little girls were turning the chess pieces into families with king and queen as mother and father and the pawns as children 
both sides were having a delightful time. And it was really quite an amazing thing to watch. Then the boys got tired of their little tank toys uh, shooting one another. And they decided that they would go attack the little families of kings and queens and pawns. And so these go sweeping and they made, you know, ack, ack, ack noises. And uh, this led to the girls crying and trying to protect their pieces. There was no physical contact, but it was fascinating to watch. And it instilled in me a belief that little boys and little girls are a bit different. I, I, I don't want to sound sexist. They, they just are. And then when I taught in the classes, what I saw was that the boys are highly motivated by competitive phenomena in their elementary school age years. And little girls are more motivated, in my opinion, by social phenomena and enjoy cooperating with one another. So we would, and still do to this day, but I, you know, I wish we could do better with it, set up activities for the girls that were somewhat different and more uh, acclimated to their particular preferences. And, and when I was personally teaching in the classes, I felt like I saw tremendous room for growth amongst females whom I think can be taught to love chess, but may tend to be less motivated by pure competition and, and slightly motivated by different things. So I'm hoping we can really expand the number of, of women and girls that are playing chess through trying to accommodate them better rather than giving them just the standard formula of this is what a chess event looks like, getting their input as to what they would want the chess event to look like. Generally, we see about 50% girl participation in elementary school level uh, before it drops off precipitously after fifth grade. Is this what you're also seeing in your after-school programs? No, that, that hasn't been my experience. Uh, boys are a bit more receptive to this than girls, in my opinion. Justin, thank you so much for taking the time to participate on our show today. I definitely feel a kinship still with Kid Chess. And if it wasn't for the fact that U.S. Chess hired me away from you 15 years ago, I probably would still be working here. And, you know, my, my daughter, it was a perfect job for her as a college student. So thank you very much. And really appreciate you being on our March edition of One Move at a Time. Thank you so very much. Thank you for listening to One Move at a Time. Our theme music was composed by Alex King, a national master who lives in Memphis, Tennessee. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit with an educational mission. You can find more information about us at uschess.org, where you can become a member by clicking on the Join button, and you can donate to our cause by clicking on the Donate button. I hope that you have learned something new about how to build chess within your community. Join us next month for another Chess World personality and more good ideas.